Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, This church began about 14 years ago on a a little dirt path by where I used to live in University Hills. And um, I was walking up and down that trail trying to figure out what to do with my life. I was 47. I was bald. I was broke. And my my, um, now ex-wife wasn't walking with Jesus. And kind of a a challenging time. And um, some friends who I discipled at my last church said, hey, you know what? Um, we've been saving up some money, and if you decide to stay in Denver and start a church, we're going to help finance it. And so I was praying about that, walking back and forth, back and forth. God, should I do that? And I feel like the Spirit was saying, yes, you're supposed to plant one more church, hopefully my last church, um, here, here in Denver. And so then I began to ask, well, what kind of church do you want it to be? And um, the Spirit said three things to me. Number one, um, help people find their way to God. Keep doing that. So I, I planted two churches in the Bay Area, and then I had a church downtown Denver. All three churches, that was a major, major focus. That's a huge part of my story. I grew up irreligious. When I came to faith, it radically changed my life. I mean, radically. I was lonely. I felt incredibly unloved. I had a major anger issue. And God, God when I met him, he began to change all of that and began to fill me with his spirit. And it's, it's radically changed my whole life. And I want other people to experience that. And I, I don't get emotional very, very easily. I did in the last service, but um, maybe it's the lower testosterone as I get older. I don't know. But I'm, I'm finding myself, like, whenever I talk about Jesus, I get emotional. I, I grew up in a, in a family where we, I was taught, boys don't cry. My dad was Irish, German, boxer. He said, Canadians cry. You're not Canadian. Don't cry. But if you get me talking about Jesus, like, I, I get really emotional because I just can't get over what he's done for, for me and what he's done for us, you know? So when the Spirit said, start a church that reaches people who are far from God, I'm like, I'm on it. Number two, he said, uh, make disciples, not just cultural Christians. So if I'm honest about my previous churches, we did reach people. We didn't do a very good job helping them be disciples. And they became kind of like your typical cultural Christians. Go to church a little bit, give a little money, serve once in a while, bring your friends, Dallas City weekend, Christmas, you're good. You're good. Just be nice to people, okay? And that's not what Jesus is looking for. In fact, he's not just looking even for committed Christians. A lot of people say, I'm a committed Christian. Uh, Jesus never asked you to be a committed Christian. Committed Christian means you're still in control. Like you have a workout program, you're in control. You're committed to it, but you can control it. Jesus wants surrendered followers. You know you're surrendered if someone comes up to you and puts a gun to your head and says, give me your wallet. What do you do? you give that person your wallet. You just lost control. When you give your life to Jesus, he's King Jesus. He's not just Savior, he's King. We, we give up control and we say, whatever you want to do with my life, my life is yours. My thoughts, my dreams, my to-do list, everything is yours. Jesus said, make, make those types of disciples. Big gulp, okay, I'll do my best. And the last thing uh, he said to me was plant churches, not just plant a church, but plant churches. And so since we began, if you're new to Restoration, we've started 46 churches, or we've helped start 40 churches, 46. 40 are still going strong. Okay? We've lost six. And then um, during COVID, we got involved in what's called disciple-making movements. I'll talk more about that in a few moments. And so we currently have 1,000 churches in the city meeting in gas stations, homes. We have 40 at DIA, uh, under trees in other parts of the world. We have these little tiny house churches, about six people on average. And, and it's just like spreading like crazy. It's, it's nuts what God is doing throughout our city and now globally. And then our, uh, our leadership team got together. 
And we talked about, we need to have some ideology here. Like, let's figure out what we believe and stuff. Obviously, we believe the Bible and the gospel. What else? And so if you're in the business world, you know these terms. You got mission, vision, values, right? So uh, a mission is the, is the why. It's why you exist as an organization. And then the vision is where you're going as you move into the future together. It's the stuff that gets you up in the morning like, oh, we're going there. And then um, the values are the how. How you do it. How do you, how do you embody it? How do you live it out? It's that feely stuff. It's the culture. You know, Drucker said, uh, what did he say? He said, values eat strategy for lunch. Like, it's, it's what makes you feel like this is a unique group of people that have a unique set of behaviors and expectations. So we, we began to like, craft these statements, and, 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 and here's what we came up with. Um, our mission is to love people into a life of passionately following Jesus. We took the great commandment, love God, love people, great commission, go make disciples of all nations, we put them together, and that's the statement we came up with. And then a few years later, uh, we crafted a vision statement, and you hear this every weekend. You heard it from Jason and, and Billy a few moments ago. Um, we are a global movement of everyday disciples making disciples for generations to come. Okay? That's what we're about, and we're seeing it happen. We're seeing it happen. Uh, and then during COVID, we had some extra time on our hands. We're like, okay. Um, you know, we, we're putting the services together. They're packaged by Thursday. What else would we do with our time? So we started working on our values, and we began to read through the book of Acts, and then we did a series that was the longest series in the history of our church, 54 weeks in the book of Acts. And we, we asked the question, what were the values of the early church? What did they care about? How did they behave? We should make those values our values. And so we came up with, with 10 value statements, and uh, we're going to begin a two-week series today. And then in three weeks, Jason Soderstrom, our lead pastor, will do the second half. So I'm doing five values. He's doing five values. Sandwich in between is All City Sunday, where we're just going to party our brains out, okay, and have a lot of fun, right? All right, so here's the five values that I'm going to talk about today. Here we go. Uh, we raise the sails, but the Spirit provides the wind, okay? Um, we pray first. We're a praying church. We practice obedience-based discipleship. We don't just welcome people, we connect to each other, and we do whatever it takes to see people know God. Those are the five values I'm going to share with today. These are all in your message notes, in your app. Why should you even care? Two reasons. If you're exploring our church, you deserve to know what we're about. You deserve to know like, what we expect of people who make this their church. And man, all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. We've helped start a bunch of churches throughout the front range. And you know, we, we, if you want, if you don't like our church, we'll help you find one that really fits you, okay? But you deserve to know what you're signing up for. Not that we have membership, but if you get involved, you, you deserve to know what we're about and what we hope you will be, like the kind of behaviors and habits we hope that you will develop. Um, the second reason this, this series is really important is because these are not our values, like we just pull them you know, out of the air, we, we actually got these from the Bible. These are kingdom of God values. And if we're going to experience the kingdom of God, and then Jesus has to be king, and we have to make his values our values. And so as we read the New Testament, we believe these are values that Jesus has, and we want to experience more of him. Amen? Somebody? So that's why these also really matter. We want you to experience more of the kingdom of God now, not just in the future. And if you make these values yours, you will experience more of the kingdom of God. So uh, one more thing that's really important for you to know about our church before I jump into these five values is that we are a church that runs on two tracks, kind of like railroad tracks, you know, going side by side parallel. We, we have a, um, 
a, a come and see track and a go and tell track. Come and see, go and tell. And that, this is kind of unique. The come and see part isn't, the go and tell part is. So uh, in, in John chapter one, and by the way, in three weeks, we're starting a new series of messages on the gospel of John, 21 chapters, 21 weeks. Uh, in John chapter one, um, Andrew meets Jesus and starts to follow Jesus. And then he goes and finds Peter and he says, Peter, I think I, I, think I found the Messiah. I think, it's, I think I found the guy that we've been waiting for as a country for like, what, a few thousand years? Come and see. Come and see who I found. See for yourself. And then a little later, uh, Philip begins to follow Jesus. And he goes to a friend of his, Nathaniel. He says, hey, hey, I think I have found the Messiah. Come and see. Come and check him out for yourself. Um, this is what we do on the weekends. We gather. We love each other. We care for each other. We grow here. We get fed from the word of God. But we also invite our friends. We say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Because when, they, when they, people come here who aren't following Jesus, they experience the love of God in this place and on the porch. And then we begin to worship and we hear God speak to us through the word. And it's like the spirit shows up and people leave here going, I think I experienced something that I can't quite put words to, but I think it just might've been Jesus. Okay. So um, we do all the things that you would expect a come and see church to do in the Western world. We got a building. Uh, we don't have a parking lot. Sorry, it's, it's Denver, okay? It's expensive. Uh, we've got a budget. We've got a band. We've got a leadership team. We got kids upstairs. My kids are upstairs. If you want to serve around here, that's like the most important ministry, okay? They're the future. Um, we even have a hazer. Like, if you, like we have this like smoke that comes out of here, this place. It's like, it helps you see the lights better, but it represents the Holy Spirit. And even in churches where the Spirit left the building a decade ago, you got to have a hazer or you're just not a legit church in the Western world. So we get all the things that you would expect uh, of a church in, in the Western world. We, we do this. And uh, so we have a come and see track. We also have a go and tell track. And, and this is where we're kind of different. Uh, we call the go and tell side of the church the, a disciple-making movement. It's a, it's a movement of God that's happening. And uh, we learn this reading the book of Acts. They met in the temple, but they also met in the marketplace, and they met in their homes, and people just went out, and they, they were contagious. And this, this movement exploded long before there were any buildings, which didn't come along until the fourth century. They, they were making disciples who made disciples. Let me kind of explain what that looks like. A little diagram, please. So let's, let's say this is uh, Restoration Robert. We'll talk more about him in a little bit. And, and Robert... He, he comes to faith, he starts growing, and he wants his friends to know Jesus. But we live in the Western post-Christian culture that we find ourselves in. A lot of people are not interested in Jesus, you know this, and they're certainly not interested in anything called Christianity or the church. And so Robert spends a lot of time sharing with a lot of people, but eventually, because he's faithful and he doesn't give up, and because he knows, he knows it's his father's heart that everyone would know the love of God and that, that everyone would spend eternity with Jesus. He keeps trying. He keeps sowing. He keeps sharing his story and God's story. And three of his friends come to faith. And then he begins to pour into them and he teaches them how to read the Bible and how to pray. And then he, he tries to get them to share with their friends. And these three guys are faithful. They do the same thing. And so they keep reaching people. And in a couple of years, just a regular everyday disciple like Robert could have 40 disciples and four generations of disciples. You get lots of strands of four generations of disciples. You have a movement. We have a movement in Denver 
We have one strand of disciples that's 17 generations deep. Is that incredible? Now, you don't see it here. You see parts of it here, but you see it. If you go around the city, I can take you to places where you'll see these churches meeting. The average simple church in uh, our movement right now is led by uh, about a 35-year-old Indian woman who speaks two or three languages. Uh, she reaches her friends at her gas station or out at the airport, and they meet uh, during coffee breaks, or they meet at the airport at McDonald's, or they're in a meatpacking plant, and they get together when they get a break, and they do church together in a car, a bus stop, wherever they can. That's what the average simple church that we have looks like in, in, uh, in our city. All right? So uh, we're running these two tracks like all, all the time, all the time. The thing these two tracks have in common is they both have the same values. And so they're not competing with each other. They're complementing each other. It's our values that create this complementary nature between the come and see church as we know it in the Western world and the go and tell the movement that we're part of in our city that has been reaching thousands of people. Okay, So value number one. You guys ready? Come on. Come on. Value number one, we raise the sails and the spirit provides the wind. Acts chapter two, verses one through two, verse four. Uh, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever read the book of Acts, like we did for 54 weeks as a church, you you can't help but going, all this cool stuff keeps happening. Like people's friends are coming to faith. This movement's spreading like crazy. People are healed. Dead people are raised from the dead. Blind people see. People learn languages so they can communicate with other people groups faster than Neo learned Kung Fu in the Matrix. Like it's crazy, like miraculous stuff happening all the time. You can't help but to read and go, why is it I don't see more of that? How come we don't see more of these miraculous things happening here in in, in the Western world? The answer is they had the wind of the Spirit behind them. They they were moving. They were moving in the Spirit, not their flesh, not their own strength, because they were surrendered to the Spirit. Uh, Any Kansans in the room? Anybody from Kansas here? Oh, we got some Kansas. Shout out for Kansas. Cool. Um, So Kansas is known for two things. Basketball and wind. Basketball and wind, okay? Uh, so we, we, we have pretty good basketball teams there. Any, any Jayhawks in the room? Got a few Jayhawks. Come on. So this the one time of the year my wife and I don't get along is March because she went to Iowa State. She's a cyclone. I was pledging to be in a fraternity at KU, decided last minute to go to another school to run. But I'm a big Jayhawk fan, okay? So we have conflict. So Kansas, great basketball teams. The other thing that Kansas, though, is known for is really strong, consistent wind. And when I ran track in, in high school, I'd run a race, and you could be like on the back stretch, and you could be at like world record pace, because <laughs> you got like an 80 mile per hour wind at your back, and you're just, and then you could like get in the home stretch, and you're like a sloth, because you're hitting that headwind, and you're just like, and, and that's the way it is with the spirit. When you're moving in the spirit, when you're in the power of the spirit, you're filled with the spirit as an individual or as a church, things just start happening. You, 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 you move at spirit speed. But when you're in your own flesh and you're trying to walk with Jesus in your own strength, things go really slow. 
you don't change that much, you don't see a lot of fruit, you even start wondering, does this thing even work? Yeah. So there's two things we have to understand to be a church that moves with the Spirit. The first one is kind of ironic. We have to walk, not run. We have to walk, not run. You don't, you don't try to go faster with the Spirit. You actually do just the opposite. You slow down, and the Spirit begins to move you at Spirit speed. So Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay. So there's all these analogies about moving in the Spirit, walk. You don't walk fast, unless you're like in the World Field Championships. Those guys are goofy looking, you know. But like, you, you walk at a, at, a, at a pace that's kind of slow. That's how you live in the Spirit. If you go too fast, you're going to get ahead or behind the Spirit. Uh, another analogy is wait. In Acts 1, they wait. They just wait on the Spirit, and then the Spirit shows up. There's a passivity that we have to practice in order to, to be filled with the Spirit. Um, speaking of being filled with the Spirit, in, in uh, Ephesians 5, it compares the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit with being drunk. We're to be like, like a wine bottle, and we, just, we wait and we ask the Spirit to fill us with the wine of the gospel. Jesus said, it's like, it's like a, a branch and a vine. Branches don't work real hard. They just, their only job is stay connected abide, remain in the vine. That's our job, is to stay as connected to the Spirit as we possibly can. Second thing we have to realize is we have to raise our sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. In in John 3, 8, it says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying the Spirit's like a wind. In fact, the word pneuma and In Greek, it means wind or or breath. The Spirit's the breath of God. And so our values are kind of like sails. They're habits. And we we raise the sails. And then when the wind blows, we go wherever the Spirit takes us. So value number one is we uh, we go with the Spirit. We we walk in, in the power of the Spirit. We raise the sails, the Spirit provides the wind. These next four values are like sails. So you can think about these as like sails we're raising together as a church so we can catch the wind and move with the Spirit. So value number two, uh, we pray first. It's like a sail. When you pray, you're opening yourself up to the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter two, they're waiting, they're praying, all of a sudden, Pentecost happens, the Spirit shows up, they go outside, 3,000 people join the church that day and begin to follow Jesus as his disciples. So how do we do this at Restoration? Uh, on the come and see track, we gather here on, on the weekends. We do two songs at the beginning of the service. You guys didn't know that because you're never here. But we do, we do two songs. At the, you should try being here on time Sunday. Two songs at the beginning of the service to kind of like, you know, get in that waiting sort of space, that passive space where we begin to hear from the Spirit and get in tune with the Spirit. And, and new people, they actually hear on time. So I, I come in here uh, every week about five minutes before the service, and I meet people. I go, hey, you're new, aren't you? And they go, how, dude, how do you know I was new? Like there's hundreds of people that go to this church. I go, because you're on time. You're here. But next week, if you come back, you'll be late like everyone else. Hey. So we do two songs at the beginning of the service to kind of begin to prepare ourselves to move with the Spirit during the service. Then we do a message like this one, and we, we get into the Word of God. 
And, and the breath of the Spirit is in the Word of God. The Spirit's in these texts that we read, these ancient texts, and we listen. We listen. And then um, we pray at the end of the message, and we, we'll do that in a few minutes. We listen. We listen. And then we do communion, and we start, to, we start to pray some more. And then we do two songs, and by now we're kind of there, and we begin to worship. And God inhabits the praises of his people. We begin to experience God. And we pray here because the first day of the week, according to the Christian way of thinking about a week, is Sunday. And then we go out there and we go and tell. But we prayed here first. And then on the go and tell track, we, um, we do the same thing. All of our simple churches, I don't care if they're in a meat packing plant, grocery store, boardroom, CrossFit gym, here in the building, someone's home, we do the same thing every single time, Okay. We look back, we look up, we look ahead. We, we, we got three plays. It's kind of like that old movie, Remember the Titans? When Denzel Washington was asked, hey, what's your playbook? It looks kind of thin. He says, um, I've only got six plays. Works like Novocaine. Works every time. Just give it time. No football people here. Okay, that's us, man. We just run three plays. Works every time. You just got to give it some time. Okay. So we look back, we look up, we look ahead. We look back, we talk about our week, we care for each other, and then we pray for each other. And then we look up, we listen to the word of God, we stop, we pray. We look ahead, we set some goals, we pray some more. We are a praying church. We pray first because we know in our own power we can accomplish nothing. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for, for nothing. All right, let's keep moving restoration. Okay, so that was the second value, first sale. Uh, third value, second sale, we practice obedience-based discipleship. This one requires some unpacking. Um, the Spirit wants to blow into a life or in a church where the Spirit knows the answer is yes before the question's asked or before the directions are given. Okay? The Spirit doesn't speak to people who aren't surrendered and who don't want to obey. The Spirit doesn't want to waste his time. Okay? And so it says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-5, through 5, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Let that sink in. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. If we obey the commands of Jesus, we know Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. We are his disciples. If we say we're his disciples, but we don't obey his commands, we're lying to ourselves. And we're lying to God. Uh, the Western church is focused on knowledge-based discipleship, not obedience-based discipleship. Never in the history of the world have there been so many Bibles and so many Bible translations. They even have a scratch and sniff Bible. You can scratch it and sniff it. There's all these podcasts. There's all these great communicators that are, by the way, way better than me. You can listen to all this stuff. There's all these podcasts and how to understand the Bible. All this knowledge, all these Bible studies, all these small groups where you read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. There's just not a whole lot of obedience. We know more than any generation ever about the Bible. We just apply it less than most generations have. And we're trying to change that. Now, to give us a little grace, we have grown up in a knowledge-based economy, right? We have the strongest economy in the history of the world, and it's based on knowledge. And what we're taught at the time we're little tiny kids, knowledge is power. Go to school, kids. Learn, 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 learn. And so we think that if we know, we grow. I just need to know more, and I'll grow. 
But in the scriptures, we're taught is that if we obey, we grow. You don't grow from just knowing. You don't grow, grow until you obey and you seek to actually apply what God's saying to you in the scriptures. This is so important for us to understand. Now, that doesn't mean that knowledge isn't important. In the prophets, it says, my people die for lack of knowledge. It's important to, to know what the Bible says and to read it. Our most fruitful disciples, the kind of people around here that have friends who go, man, something is different about you. What happened in your life? The, the people in our church that are actually seeing their friends come to faith and are beginning to see multiplication, those people eat the Bible. Like they're just reading it voraciously, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, man. They're posting like scripture memory verses on their dash and on their mirrors and the bathrooms and stuff. They're reading on average, from what I can tell, like around 25 chapters a week, but they're not just reading it to know it. They're reading it to live it. They let the Spirit speak to them so they can move with the wind of the Spirit. And so uh, on the come and see track, we, we do messages, and at the end of the message, we kind of go, okay, time out for a few moments. Let's, let's take a breath. Let's listen to what the Spirit's saying to us, and let's go do something with it. Right? And then in our, in our simple churches, um, after we read the scriptures together, we talk about it and try to understand it, and then we make these, these I will statements. I will do this. It's like a smart goal, something very specific. Not like, I will love God more. Okay, how do you measure that? No, no, no. I will, do, I will invite my friends to All City Sunday, hint, hint. I will do that to show the love of God to somebody this week. Okay? So we're trying to practice as a church obedience-based discipleship because the Spirit loves to blow wind into a church that raises that sail and says, we're going to do whatever you want us to do. Okay? All right, value number four, sale number three. Um, we don't just welcome, we connect. We don't just welcome people, we connect. So it says in Acts 2:46 through 47, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, Acts chapter two, they're going to the temple, come and see. They're going out in the marketplace in their homes, go and tell. The spirit comes upon them. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people in one day begin to follow Jesus. The, the church was 120 people when Jesus ascended to go back home to be with the Father. 40 days plus later, or whatever it was, 3,000 people start following Jesus. And Peter didn't say, hey, uh, good luck out there. Just good luck. No, the 120 people said, hey, you know what? Come to my house. Come to my house. Come to my house. I want to help you grow. New Christians began to disciple new Christians. And they did it in their homes. Because they didn't just welcome people, they connected to them. They got their hands dirty. They got involved in each other's lives. Okay. So um, on the come and see track, this is why we're spending too much money on the porch. <laughs> like that porch is, we're not just building that porch out because the building looked like a turd. Um, it did. It looks a lot better now. But we're not just doing it for aesthetic reasons. We're doing it because so much good happens on that patio. That's where we're investing so much money in that patio. Just go out there sometime, and if you hang out for a while, you're going to see amazing things happen on the porch. Just watch. You'll see people laughing. You'll see people crying. You'll see people praying for each other. We've seen healings out there. We've seen people delivered from demons out there. 
We've seen people saved out there. I got a friend here in this service right now. Um, we met a few weeks ago on the porch, asked his spiritual story. He goes, tell me the story. The detective, he didn't quite understand the gospel. Share the gospel with him. He accepted Jesus. He's now sharing his faith with his friends. He's in a discipleship group with me. I'm baptizing him at 11 o'clock today. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Give it up for Conrad. Yeah. Stuff happens. People even, check this out, singles. People even meet their spouses out there. Okay, now is the porch worth it? I think so. So the porch is important because we don't just welcome people, we connect. Yeah. You know, our, our culture says that tolerance is the value you should embrace. You can tolerate people, not love them. We go way beyond tolerance. We want to connect and love people and we get dirty. We get in each other's lives. Uh, on the go and tell side of things, we do this in gyms, the marketplace. Um, our parents are super busy, kids in sports. We do on the sidelines. We don't just stand there going, yeah, how's your son doing? My son's doing better. Um, we actually meet we actually meet the other parents. We engage them. Um, ski lifts. We, we don't just welcome people out there. We connect with people out there. So I'm going to share a story of a woman. I'll call her Jessica. She goes to our church. Um, Jessica, not her real name, uh, works for a large outdoor retailing company. That could be a lot of companies in, in Denver. And um, she's been like trying to meet people there since she moved here. And and she's discovered, what a lot of us have discovered in the marketplace, people in Denver aren't often very open to Jesus and certainly anything attached to the word church. And so a lot of resistance as she's been meeting people and shares that she goes to church and that she loves Jesus. And so she's in uh, my simple church and, and she told us, hey, we're going to do a company camp out, kind of a glamp out, you know, catered food and stuff. I'm kind of nervous about this, but it's a chance for me. To, to connect more deeply with some of my fellow employees. And so we said, we're going to pray for you because we only pray for each other in our churches. We pray for the people we're trying to reach and disciple. And um, she even took a picture of she and three of the women she works with and sent it to us. We're praying, praying, praying. And she had like the coolest conversations. So in one of her conversations, one of the women said, um, you're not like Baptist, are you? Like, I hope you're not Baptist because Baptist people don't like gay people. Yeah. And another one of her friends who doesn't go to church said, whoa, 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 whoa. Jessica, I've watched her. She treats gay people in our company better than anybody I know. Is that a compliment or what? Talk about breaking some stereotypes. Another friend said, um, hey, don't talk to me about religion, spirituality. Never going to go there with you, Okay. And they just happened to be driving home together, just the two of them. And again, getting to know each other. And this woman asked Jessica about her kids, and especially like her younger one. And, and this woman's kind of getting along and she's, you know, a certain age. And she's like, oh man, I don't even know if I want to bring kids into this world. And, and Jessica said, well, my, my youngest kid uh, probably shouldn't even be in this world. And told the story of just what happened and how that kid found his way into this world. And her friend who doesn't want to talk about religion or spirituality said, that's like a miracle. And they had a little moment together. And then she saw that young boy and it started to tear up. I would say Jessica's doing a pretty good job, not just welcoming people, but connecting to people on behalf of Jesus, wouldn't you? 
She just might be in the right room right now. Can we give it up for her? Yeah. All right. So we're a church that doesn't just welcome people, tolerate people. We connect. Like we get into each other's lives. We actually get to know our neighbors and and have them in our homes and, and invite them to our church and stuff like that. Um, and then value number five, last value, we do whatever it takes to see people know God. We raise that sail all the time. We want people to, to know God. You know, people often ask, committed Christians ask this question, what's God's will for my life? Not the best question. It's not a terrible question. There's a time to ask, hey, God, do you want me to be a DJ or a dentist? You know, marry him, marry her, what... It's okay to ask for guidance and wisdom. It's just not a question that God always answers. And it's not his favorite question. God's favorite question is, God, what are you doing in this world? And how can I participate in that? I promise you, you ask God that question, he will give you an answer every single time. So another way to ask that question would be, are we participating in the story of God? God's telling a story. He's got this great big story he's been telling since creation. Are we participating in that story? Do we know what chapter we're in? Do we know what character he wants us to play? So here's the, here's the chapter headings of, of God's grand story. Uh, creation, chapters one through two in Genesis, God creates everything, creates human beings, human beings, the pinnacle of his creation. The reason that we, we believe people should be free and that we're equal is because God made us. Then the fall, Adam and Eve sin against God. Every time we sin against God, we fall. And we bring brokenness into this world. We're in a broken, fallen world. Then there was a scattering. People had one language. God wants to create lots of cultures. He sends people. They learn different languages, create new languages, create cultures. Uh, people groups all over the world. Then a promise. He tells Abraham, hey, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through your offspring, a savior will come. And, and then uh, after the promise, we go to the New Testament and we, we see redemption. Jesus comes into the world and he lives a perfect life. He never sins. He goes to the cross because sin brings death. He dies in our place and he forgives our sin. Then he rises from the dead and he says, that same power, the power that raised me from the dead can be inside you through my Holy Spirit and I will restore you. Let's jump ahead to the last chapter. Consummation. What that means is Jesus is going to complete what he began. There'll be another resurrection. There's going to be another restoration. He will restore all things. None of our pain will be wasted. All this brokenness is one day going to get fixed. Is that good news to somebody today? We are in this chapter, commission. We exist between redemption and consummation. Commission, the great commission. Go make disciples. That's our job. That's why it's our mission as a church. That's why every disciple has to embrace that mission and make it their mission. And Jesus isn't coming back until that mission is accomplished. It says in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The word there for nations, it's ethne. It's a people group, a group of people who have a, a common culture, but also a common language. Now, the good news is lots and lots of people groups, thousands of people groups have already been reached. But there's over 7,000 people groups that haven't been reached. So I go to India about twice a year now. You can be driving from one village to the next village, get to this next village, and it's a totally different people group, different language, or at least a different dialect, different culture. Half of the 
unreached people groups in the world today are in India, which is why we've been so focused on India. Not the only place we're focused. We just sent teams this summer to the Middle East. We're focused over there because there's lots of unreached people groups there. But India is just incredibly strategic. Now, restoration, here's the cool thing. Uh, Currently, we are reaching 15 unreached people groups with the gospel, making disciples, and starting churches in India. Is that cool or what? Yeah, maybe we clap for that one too. There's always one clapper. It starts somewhere. Thank you for doing that. And and I believe we're going to reach many, many more in in the years to come, which brings me to my new job. I've been trying to figure out my job. So uh, if you're new, I I was lead pastor. I started this church. Jason, who was up here earlier, he's the lead pastor. I'm the founding pastor. And so I've been kind of crafting my job description. So here's here's what it looks like as of today. Um, Here's how I allocate my energy. 25% of my energy is right here. I I speak. I'm on the teaching team. Uh, Jason and I talk about every day once or twice. Sometimes we talk about the church. Most of the time we talk about hunting. But um, we, we, we do strategy together. And um, I, I coach our team sometimes. And I'm just trying to stay relevant. If they just need me to like lick stamps for mailers, I just do whatever they tell me to do. Okay. And then uh, 25% of my time is disciple-making movement work locally and in the U.S. And so I've got lots of coaching groups. I coach pastors and raise money for churches to start and stuff like that. But I'm moving towards 50% of my energy uh, focused on disciple-making movements, reaching unreached people groups globally. So I've, we got a team in India. I coach that team every week. We're starting other teams in other nations, and we're trying to expand our team in India. And I was with them in Indonesia a few weeks ago. That's where most of my energy is, is beginning to move. I plan to stay here, God willing, forever. And I plan to keep doing movement locally, and I want to see movement happen in the West. But it's just super strategic to put energy into reaching unreached people groups. Why? Jesus said, I'm not coming back until every nation, tribe, and language has been reached. And it says in 2 Peter 3.12, look forward to the day of God, meaning the return of Jesus, and speed its coming. If we're going to speed its coming as a church, we have to reach these unreached people groups that have never heard of the love of God made manifest in Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to do that until there is no place left No place left in this world that hasn't heard about the love of God. So those, my friends, are our five core values. We raise the sails. We let the Spirit provide the wind. We pray first. We practice obedience-based discipleship. We don't just welcome. We connect. And we do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to see people know God. Now, I want to talk about what this looks like, like, in the, in the life of an everyday disciple here, here at Restoration. So uh, let me introduce you to, to Restoration Robert, uh, fictitious character. Ladies, I can't introduce you to him, but he's a kind of a good looking guy. So uh, Robert moved here from California, let's say a year ago. I'm making this stuff up as I go. And he's got a beard that says, hey, I'm kind of dangerous, but I'm also approachable, ladies. Not the full 300 beard, you know, but he's got the beard. He got the flannel shirt. And then he realized, man, it's all about sports here. He's got a closet now that looks like REI. He's got all these, you know, boards and, you know, gear and stuff. And, and so he's fully embracing the lifestyle. He, he moved here from California because um, Denver's weird, but California's weirder. And he wanted to come here for the lifestyle. And so he loves the lifestyle. So when he got here, man, he just threw himself into sports, um, loves craft beer. He was 
down in about a keg a week, you know, before he came to faith. And, um, and, and now he's down to a six pack and he was, man, loved the dope. Like he was like smoking a J every day. Now he's down to one J a week. So man, we celebrate progress here. Okay, so he's only drinking a little bit and only smoking a little bit. So we're, we're, we're moving. Like, we're, we got growth here. And then he, he's become a part of the church. He's in a simple church. And the culture is getting in him, the DNA of this church. These values are starting to become his values. All right? So let's talk about what a typical day for Restoration Robert looks, up, looks like. He gets up in the morning. He's a Gen Zer. He has to do a pour over. Pour over. Because brewed coffee is not good enough for Gen Zers. Okay. He does his pour over, right? Then he sits down and before he drinks his cup of coffee, he just takes three deep box breaths because he goes to CrossFit. He understands that thing. And he opens up his hands and he surrenders in a fresh way. And he says, come Holy Spirit. Blow your wind into my life. Everything I have is yours. My thoughts, my to-do list, my job, everything is yours. Wherever you want to take me today, I'm yours. And why does he do that? Because he knows in his own power, he can do nothing of any kind of eternal consequence. And so he, he's, he's waiting on the spirit. And then he starts raising some sails, okay? So he prays for two minutes and 32 seconds. He sits there and he prays. And he confesses some sin, and he praises God, honors God. Maybe he sings a little song that he learned uh, here on the weekends. He asks God for some things. Hey, I need wisdom for this. And man, it'd be great if I could meet you know, a, a woman who loves you. And then he has a non-Christian list and a Christian list. He prays for his non-Christian friends that they would come to faith. He prays for his Christian friends that they'd be disciples that are growing and healthy. And then he thanks God for three or four things. Stops. Two minutes, 32 seconds. And why does he do that? Because we pray first here at this church. We know apart from prayer, nothing happens. That's a very important sale. Then he opens his Bible and he reads, uh, he's like, I'm going to read John chapter one today because our church is getting ready to do a series in John. And so he's trying to get ahead of things. And, and he's reading it until a verse sort of sticks out to him. It's John 1, 14, where, where it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And he starts meditating on that. He goes, man, how cool is that? That Jesus like put flesh on God so we can see what God is like. And then he creates an I will statement in his very masculine leather journal. He goes, I will do what I can to show Jesus to people. I will try to flesh out Jesus today, everywhere I go. Closes his Bible. It's been about 20 minutes. Drinks the rest of his, his coffee. Goes to CrossFit. Before he does, he takes a picture of himself going to CrossFit. Because it's like a universal thing. If you do CrossFit, you want everyone to know you do CrossFit. It's like the opposite of Fight Club. So he's taking a picture. Then he gets in his car, and he goes to his CrossFit gym, and as he's going in, he runs into jacked up Joe, the CrossFit guy. And he's just finished a wad. He goes, dude, what's the wad today? He goes, it's Murph, bro. He goes, it was a suffer fest. Because that's like, you know, uh. And he goes, I just set a PR in Murph. He goes, oh, bro, that's, that's incredible. And as he's talking to jacked up Joe, he, uh, he senses the spirit wants to engage him. You know, don't just welcome him. Don't just high five. Like, really connect to him. And he goes, hey, man. He said uh, to him, he goes, we got this event going on this next week in our church. It's called All City Weekend, South High School. And I know Sunday's your cheat day. And we're going to have like ice cream trucks, In-N-Out burgers. And as he's talking about it, because it's connected to the word church, 
He's like, you can, he, he just reads the body language, like jacked up Joe's not so sure he wants to go to anything connected to a church. And so he's like, oh, Holy Spirit, help me. And then he pulls out his phone. And he goes, hey, b- before you say no, and he, he introduces jacked up Joe to smoking hot Samantha <laughs> on his Instagram feed that goes to restoration, also a fictitious character, okay? And he goes, listen, bro, if you come, I will introduce you to her. Why does he do this? Because we do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, even around the edge of lust to see people, to see people know God. Are you with me? Okay, okay. That is a day in the life of restoration, Robert. Um, 13 years ago, when I was walking that dirt path, uh, and the Spirit was saying, start another church. I didn't know what it was going to look like. My ex-wife wasn't even going to go. It was just me. And I would walk that path, and I I was like, God, you got to help me. I didn't know if we'd have a building. I didn't know if anybody would show up or who would show up. And um, what I didn't know was that it would be a lot harder than I thought. And so right after I began this church, um, my marriage, which was already hanging by a thread, got even worse. And at year three, my now ex-wife left me for somebody else. And what really sucks is we were, I was in a coffee shop by another building, and I, I saw him one day. And uh, you know, if you're, well, you don't know this, I hope you don't know this. If your wife is cheating on you, you hope it's like an ugly guy, like Danny DeVito, you know? <laughs> It wasn't. It, like, this guy is seriously good looking. And a lot wealthier than me, I go, I would leave me for him. <laughs> I go, this really sucks. And so that happened. And then um, the church I pastored downtown for 14 years became three churches. We had three locations. And the largest uh, was downtown. had 2,000 people a week in attendance. And uh, one day a friend called me and says, have you seen the Westward? And I go, no. And uh, I picked up a copy of the Westward and it was a story about how the pastor that they hired to take my place uh, just decimated the church by uh, being sexually active with a number of women in the church. So I watched 14 years just kind of... And then, um, then my parents passed away. Uh, 18 months. Marriage blows up. Church blows up. My parents die. And I was like, God, what's up? You know, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to serve you. And my life is so hard. And there was one day, uh, a guy named Rex, who has since gone on to be with the Lord, he said, you called this restoration church because you thought it was about other people's restoration. He said, it's about yours too. I go, well, I'd like to see some of that restoration. (laughs) Because I wasn't seeing it. And then shortly after, this very humbling season in my life that now, in in the rearview mirror, I'm super grateful for it, God began to do things. The wind began to blow in my life again. And God gave me this amazing wife who, for whatever reason, just loves me so much and so much healing. And I've got two little kids, which is why that ministry upstairs is like the most important ministry in the world to me right now. My older kids, two more walking with Jesus. I got grandkids popping. I mean, and then during that season, you know, you find out when you're, 
when you're uh, getting punched in the face, you find out who your friends are. I can honestly say, I got some friends here, some brothers in Christ that I think might just die for me if they needed to. And I like to think I would do the same thing for them. And they walked me through that season. And they're closer to me than family. And all this stuff started happening. Man, I met, I met Jason and Molly, and Molly oversees the, the brook. Uh, she, it's a ministry that reaches young adults, and we partner with them. And Jason came on our team as a resident, and he just kept accelerating as a leader. Now he leads the church, and he's not just a ministry partner, neither is she. They're like, we're like brothers and sisters, man. I love those guys. And then this movement started happening. Like just every, like, you know, since January 1 restoration in our city through our movement, we've seen 2,000 thousand baptisms here in Denver. Is that crazy? 2,000. And we're seeing some of them every week after our services. We'll have some here in a few minutes. People are coming to faith. The wind is blowing in our city. It's the coolest thing. I never could have dreamed that God would let me be a part of something like this. And it's happening in our country. And it's happening over in India and other parts of the world. I go, I can't believe I get to be a part of this. I'm so excited about our future. We are Restoration Church. And God uses broken people like me and broken people like you. And as he's restoring us, as he's restoring us, he uses us to restore others. And all we got to do is we got to wait for the wind to blow. We got to surrender and open up our hands and say, my life is yours. And then just start raising the sails. We pray first. We practice obedience-based discipleship. We don't just welcome people. We connect. We get involved with people. And we do whatever it takes to see people know God. Amen? Let's pray. If you would bow your heads for just a moment. and uh, Take some time and, and listen to the Spirit. And ask the Spirit, where do you want to blow right now in me? Where do you want to take me? Maybe you're just inviting someone next week. Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe it's a reconciliation that you need to lead with a broken relationship. Maybe it's joining our serve team. I don't know what it is, but uh, what's the Spirit saying to you right now? Make an I will statement. Make it concrete and specific so you know if you did it or not. thank you for restoring our very broken lives. We thank you for giving us the most important message this world has ever heard. There's a God who loves us, who's not given up on us, and who wants to use us to restore this world. And so help us be a church that moves with the Spirit and keeps raising the sails we need to raise to go where you want us to go. Be who you made us to be and do what you made us to do. In Jesus' name.